Welcome to the Worship Leader Essentials Podcast brought to you by Worship Catalyst. We are here to help leaders learn how to do more with less. For more information or engage with us, please visit worshipcatalyst.com. We're so glad you're here today. Let's learn together. Hey, and welcome to the uh, Worship Leader Essentials Podcast. I uh, am always excited to come and try to do our best uh, to help you do more with less as worship leaders and pastors and other leaders that are watching and listening to this uh, podcast. But uh, man, today we have got a real treat for you um, as we talk to a good friend of mine who's one of the smartest people I know. And we'll get to that. But before we do, uh, our worship uh, verse of the week is Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Have you ever felt like that? Just completely, you know, desiring God's presence more than you desire anything else in life. Like you're just empty and thirsty and hungry for him. A lot of times that happens in seasons of, you know, financial problems, or family issues, health problems, death. You know, we just long for God, it seems like, in his presence more in seasons like that. Well, David, who writes this Psalm 63, is kind of constantly, perpetually, it seems like, in seasons of grief. It's like war, and there's enemies coming against him, and people trying to kill him, and he's got sin and the consequences of it. His his brokenness and anxiety that he always has seems like leads to some of the best deepest writing of his psalms which i think is true like for artists right if you some of the greatest art comes out of some of the greatest moments of tragedy and disappointment and in those times like everything longs for god i just need you today god i know we've all felt that but here's my question as i kind of read that scripture how can we feel like this all the time because honestly i don't know about, i don't know about you but i don't always crave God as desperately as I do in times of fear and pain. Sometimes I just crave him more than I crave him other times. And I don't always crave him like David does here in this Psalm where he's like, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you like a dry and parched land. You know, like I feel like dry and parched and I don't always feel like that, me. So how is it that we can crave God more often or all the time and kind of live in this state of worship and desperation for God and his presence. And I think there's a lot of answers to that probably, but here's just a few. One of them is to listen to stories of God's life change, of life change that God has uh, given other people. So just testimonies, stories, um, you know, go to YouTube or Google, you know, stories of life change from God. And when Jesus really touches people's lives, there's something about that. I think that makes us want God like that when people are experiencing him in great ways. Another one is to pray for desperation. You know, like, just ask God, God, I don't feel desperate for you today. I don't feel parched like I need you. Can you, can you fill me? Like, give me that desperation today. Another one is to listen to worship songs, but not for work. I know a lot of worship leaders, like we listen to worship songs. We're thinking about, oh, what key is that? Is that singable? Can our crowd like it? What's the theme? What's the text? When would it fit in a service of ours? What would I say before the song? But just listen to worship songs or other kind of, songs about God that really fill you and just listen to them and turn off the analytics brain. 
And then the last one is to be patient in his presence. Don't rush. You know, be still and know that I am God. There's something about just forcing ourselves to be still that I think raises our level of desperation over time. You see, David, he had those external forces causing him to feel hungry and thirsty. And we sometimes have those, but if we don't, ask God for desperation, listen to great stories of life change, worship God, and be patient. Got it? Cool. Well, that's our uh, worship verse for today out of Psalm 63, verse 1. And uh, uh, man, it's a great one to just listen to over and over again, to read through over and over again and ask God. So anyway, all right, today, man, super pumped. We've got a good friend of mine named Jonathan Wrights with us on the podcast today. Hello, Jonathan. How you, going? How you doing, Austin? Man, I am awesome. And Jonathan is, the, is an executive coach, and he works with leaders in all kinds of organizations, uh, any kind of organization that you can imagine. He's been doing this for over 20 years, and he is a true expert in coaching, okay? Uh, in fact, he'll never tell you this, but Jonathan actually is in an elite group of people that there are only, what, a hundred of those in the world, fifty in America. What is it? It's well, it's 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 eight hundred in the world and four hundred in America. Okay, so I love to you know build you up. <laughs> you could have said anything there, but uh, anyway, I <laughs> he's also humble. He would have never said that, but I'm telling you, he is a top coach globally, and it's our privilege today to have you, Jonathan. But enough about that. Let's talk about you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, like you like you mentioned, uh, 20 plus years in coaching. Before that, I took the director out into the executive coaching world because I was in television news before that. Uh, I've also been a church planner four times and uh, have led worship, have been a worship leader. Uh, true confession, I'm not a very good worship leader. I'm a much better <laughs> bass player supporting the worship leader. Um, so this is, a, this is an area, this is a group of people that we're talking to today that are near and dear to my heart. Because I, I genuinely believe that the worship experience on Sunday morning or in, in, a, in, a, in a typical congregational setting sets the tone for the deepest life change that's possible. So really excited to, uh, to talk with you and to talk with the listeners about that's awesome man so Jonathan uh, Jonathan is um, got an awesome bride. And a daughter who's in college just started like a week ago, right? Yep, yep, yep. She's a, she is a she's in her first now second week of actual college, although she took some college courses in high school, so she's acting like she's been in college for years. So, as an executive coach, do you um, find yourself starting to coach your daughter and coach your wife uh, when you get into? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny you say this. One of my mentors, a guy named Bob Logan, who, who folks in this environment are, might be familiar with, I remember before I was married, I was in a training that Bob led, and he said, no matter what, as powerful as these coaching skills are, no matter what, whatever you do, don't ever coach your wife, don't ever coach your children. And I remember thinking, because I was single at the time, I, was, you know, I, was, I got married later than most people. So I had a long time being single, but I, I thought to myself, well, that doesn't sound right. You, you know, your spouse, that's the person you should be most able to coach, I would think. Isn't that what a marriage relationship is really built on, that kind of communication? Well, I get it now. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been married a dozen years, 12 years now. You're right. My, my wife is awesome. I am the luckiest guy you know, and I would never in a million years coach Joy or coach Julia. 
because <laughs> the relationship is just different. It's just, it's, it's not, we're not built on causing our spouses or our kids to change, which is what coaching is really all about. You bring in a coach when you say, you know what, there is a change in me that needs to happen and I can't do it by myself. Right. That is fundamentally different than what marriage and family are typically all about. Yeah, totally. Well, change also is something that's uh, not important. It is absolutely 100% vital or you die, right? Mm -hmm. Completely always changing all the time. And at Worship, at a Worship Leader Essentials podcast here from Worship Catalyst, our mission is to help leaders do more with less. And that's why I'm so excited about this conversation that we're having with you today, Jonathan, because... Um, one thing that churches, like we've helped hundreds and hundreds of churches through the years. And one thing that we have found that is pretty consistent along the vast majority of them is that they do a really, they just don't take the time to evaluate how they're doing. Mm. And, and I think the reason is because I've been in church ministry for, you know, uh, huh, 30 years almost. A while. A little bit, a minute. Yeah. A and, while. um, what... I know is that once you get to Monday, you already feel behind because mm -hmm. Sundays come around with amazing regularity, you know? And so, uh, so we don't often take the time because it feels like evaluation is a long meeting and it's like, you know, oh, here we go. We have to do a group thing and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, you spend a whole day and all you are is mad because you just told, talked about how terrible you were for the last, you know, mm. four hours. But you, on the other hand, have got an amazing process that I have been so excited to share with the world here. And that is three keys, three key ideas for evaluating the current state of your ministry. Get this, guys, in less than 10 minutes. And so mm -hmm. I'm just going to be quiet and I'm going to let you dive in to kind of fill us up today with this idea. All right. So let, let's jump into these three ideas. And here's the thing about them. It, might, it will likely take longer to communicate the three ideas than it does to actually do them. <laughs> Great. So just keep, keep that in mind as you listen. So get out your stopwatches. Start, uh, start the timing on how long it takes me to explain these three ideas. I'm going to guess it's going to be 12 minutes. And it's not going to take you that long to actually do these three. Okay, so here we go. First of all, understand why you're evaluating. Bottom line is we do an evaluation process because our emotions are unreliable. Our in-the-moment assessment of what's happening, especially in a situation, you know, let's say you're in worship and, and, and you're, you're playing a final song and the Holy Spirit shows up. What you're assessing in the moment may look very, very different 24 hours later. A little bit of perspective can change what you're seeing, can change uh, what's going on. Uh, why, why we assess is to take an accurate picture of what actually happened. Now, no, no, notice this, accurate but also judgment-free. Hmm. What you want to, when you, when you take an evaluation of what happened, you're looking for the facts. You're not looking for the emotion. You can pull the emotion out of it. Emotion in evaluation is usually not your friend because you, you know that right after something happens, 
there's probably two types of reactions that you're likely to have. You're either going to love it. You're going to go, Oh, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Or it's going to be the other opposite extreme entirely. And you're going to go, and probably both, neither one of those is true. Right. I, I guarantee to you, Austin, <laughs> that neither one of those is actually accurate. Yeah. The truth is somewhere in the, in the, in the range in between those two and evaluation after the fact gives you an opportunity to get, get honed in on what actually happened here. You know, what are we actually dealing with in terms of the current state of our ministry? So that's why you want to step away from the emotion of the moment and take an objective, fact-based view on what happens. Okay, that's so that's good. number one. Number two, let's talk about how. Here's a really simple framework, and we've got a download for uh, this simple framework that we'll make available in the show notes for you. Yeah, There's a great. really, really simple framework that I would love to tell you I came up with this, but I didn't. I learned it somewhere. Uh, I'm, I, 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 honestly, I can't remember where. Uh, but I, I do know that I did not come up with this originally, but it is something I used in my church planning roles. Um, it's something that I've used in worship situations. In fact, right before we taped this podcast, I had lunch with the worship pastor at the church where my family and I go here in Cleveland. Cleveland. And we use this framework to take an evaluation of the last two months of work in the church. Uh, based on COVID-19 and some of the shutdown and some of the online. So this, this, this is very, very practical for evaluating the state of things. Five key questions. Ready? Here we go. Number one, what's working? That seems pretty simple. Well, here's the thing, though. When we do an evaluation, we, we're tempted to skip over that entirely. Because, you know, evaluation in our heads usually means talking about the stuff that's wrong. Yeah, criticism. Criticism. And, and you can defeat that by starting with a simple, easy question like, what's working? Second question. You can guess it, I bet. What's not working? What's not working? <laughs> and the danger is to spend more time on what's not working than what's working. So one of the things I do with teams is I literally will time how long they talk about what's working. And then I'll say to them, you know, that's, that's why you have a phone. You've got a timer on your phone or on your watch. Time how long they go on and on and on about what's working and say to them, this is how long you talked about what's working. This is how long you have to talk about what's not working. Okay. So you leave them equal times, whatever that might be. And, and what that does is it forces them to focus on whatever things they might think are not working in, with, with, with a clarity and a higher priority. Mm-hmm. Simple, simple little trick, but it changes the way you think about the situation. I love it. So, so those are the first two. What's working, what's not working. Third one, everybody misses this one. What are you learning? If, if, if we're really in this to be transformed, if we're really in this to help the people of God transform, Part of that is what you're learning or discovering about yourself, about God, about your context, about your people, about maybe your instrument. And putting that on the table adds energy and enthusiasm for the further conversation about what worship actually does. You know, gathering people together and going into God's presence together. Yeah. So what are you learning? You know, one thing I can already tell with these first three questions is I think about it. And then I want to ask you a question about it before we get to the next two. 
right. Um, I, I noticed that the good thing about doing this all the time is that um, you go into a, an experience already evaluating in the proper way rather than mm-hmm. just doing it emotionally. You're looking, you almost like take a step away from it, look at it even while you're doing it, I think over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my and, question and, is, when is a good time to evaluate like this? Because you said it's not right after. What, when do you think is a good pattern for us to get into like that? I like to see a little bit of time taking place. Like, for example, um, Monday morning might be the right window, mm-hmm. but that might still be a little soon. Okay. Um, I can think of... Well, one church I'm, I'm really familiar with right now has a Monday morning after action review. And the pastor in this church has said to me, sometimes it's really helpful, sometimes it's not. <laughs> and, and, and I've said, you know, what would it be like if it were on Wednesday afternoon? Yeah. And he, his immediate response was, well, it wouldn't be as fresh, but that's probably a good thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, think, I think you want to find the minimum time after the event yeah that takes the emotion out of it and i think everybody yeah like you're saying you have to figure that out i think for me as i'm as i'm processing that wednesday feels like to me that we're already so far looking forward that it would be hard for me to look back but i think monday morning i'm groggy probably frustrated emotional so I would think like either Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning might be just right and then take off into the next week, you know? And, and you have to balance how many type A personalities do you have on your team? How many, yeah. how many creative type B personalities? Because the type A personalities, they're going to want it to be at lunchtime on Monday. Right. Austin. What? The, uh, uh, <laughs> regular <laughs> listeners of the podcast will know that Austin is somewhat type A. Um, so that's just, that's just the reality. You know, the, the more reactive, reflective types are going to want a little longer runway. And depending on how your team is made up, that'll, tell, that, that'll give you some hints as to when the right time to have those conversations are. Gotcha. Okay. What's working? What's not working? What are you learning? What's number four? All right. Those, those three questions set the stage for the glass being half full. You've now come into the conversation where the real work gets done with a, a clear sense of, all the good things, hopefully all the bad things, and the good thing list will be longer. Mm. Fourth question is explicitly and clearly stated what needs to change. Some weeks there won't be anything. If you use these questions as a quarterly review, you might come up with a page and a half of stuff that needs to change. Some significant, some huge and weighty, others not so much. So what needs to change? And my guidance to you, coach to person being coached at the moment, is be as specific as you possibly can Hmm. with the answer to that question. Got it. It's okay. Be specific. Question number five. This is a a two-part question. Think of it as having a slash in the middle. First, what now? meaning what are you going to do as soon as this meeting is over and slash what next, what now, what next, what next means what will be changed or different before the next time we meet. 
So now really has some urgency about, you know, what are you going to do the minute we're done here? And next has a little bit of urgency, not quite as much, saying, hey, by the next time this team meets, what will I have accomplished that will change this situation? Because mm-hmm. that crystallizes the evaluation and says, you know what, we want to celebrate all this other this stuff. We want to change all this other stuff and go from there. All right, so that's all of that is technically point number two for your 10-minute evaluation because you can do that with a team in about eight minutes, eight, eight, nine, ten minutes. Man, that is it. already just so helpful, Jonathan. I think the that just takes the daunting idea of evaluation down yeah. to a simple formula, knock it out in 10 minutes, move on. I love that. Really, yeah, I, I designed to have a few moving parts but identify the critical things. Now, last thing, this is point number three. Who gives you feedback is important. You want to be really intentional about who you invite into those feedback conversations. Because let's be honest, again, emotions are tricky. And there are going to be some people who don't want to give you negative feedback or, or critical evaluation feedback because they're afraid it will hurt, their, hurt your feelings or it makes them uncomfortable to say those things out loud. There are other people that you know are going to shoot you straight. There are still a, there's still a third group of people that will shoot you straight when it advances their agenda and gloss over things when it advances some other agenda. So pay really close attention to who says it. You're going to tell over time which sources are, are helpful which sources are building up the body, which sources are pursuing the same vision as you are, and which sources aren't. Mm. So pay extra special attention to those voices that are helpful. All right, so how did we do? That was about, uh, oh, not bad. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. I wonder, I wonder when you're looking for someone that's evaluating you externally because it's hard to do that to yourself, like what are you looking for there? First of all, I want a relationship. I want the right kind of relationship. And one of the guidelines I think you want to pay attention to is, can I ask this question, any question that seems appropriate to me, to this person? Mm-hmm. Like, like, for example, let, let's, say, let's say you and I were working on a project. You and I have enough relationship that, that if I had a legit question about any part of the project, I could say, hey, Austin, what about this? Mm-hmm. So first of all, there's a comfort in you with requesting specific feedback from that person. Right. Secondly, you also want to be able to trust the response the person gets. Right. Because it's one thing to say, you know what, I can ask anybody any question. It's a completely different thing to say, that person's going to tell me something useful. Then the third piece of it is, um, is the feedback actionable? Mm-hmm. You know, is there, can you, can you do anything with it? You know, you might, I'm thinking about a, a worship leader. I know that for whatever reason, he got caught in the carpet wars at his congregation and they were trying to decide what color to put down the new carpet in the, in the worship center. And the worship leader made his opinion known and he lost six months on talking about why people coming into him and saying, Hey, this is why this color is better as oh opposed to that color. That, that's not actionable feedback. That's not helpful. Um, 
all of, none of those people could be included in the conversation about what worship is doing in that congregation. Right. Because they were, they were thinking they, they weren't offering helpful input. So don't ever be afraid to evaluate. Do I get helpful input from this person? Yeah. I, you know, I think uh, as a, just someone asking for honest feedback, honest evaluation, like, I think I need a lot of humility in that and a lot of wisdom in that to make sure that I'm listening to the right people. Mm. Um, but making sure that I'm listening to honest people, right? Because I think the tendency is to just gather kind of like, you know, Paul wrote to Timothy in second Timothy chapter four, where he's like, they, people just want to gather around themselves people that say things that their itching ears want to hear, you know? And so it's like we gather around people that love us the most, encourage us a lot, all that kind of stuff. But it's so important as I listen to that to make sure that I'm surrounding myself with honest people who will look me in the eye and tell me that I need to change something. I'm going to take that even one step further. It starts with us wanting to hear that mm -hmm. feedback. You know, I, I, we've all known leaders that really don't want your input or any input. Mm -hmm. And if you think even for a moment that you might be that kind of leader, this is now an internal conversation. Right. This is a no, look a in the mirror podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and I can come back and talk about that at some point. Cause I, I don't have five simple questions, but uh, I think that's a, uh, that's a topic that leaders definitely need to pay attention to. Yeah, for sure. Well, next time then, Jonathan, and I really appreciate this helpful thing. I tell you, in doing more with less, this is the pinnacle reality right here. If we can evaluate better and consistently ongoing and do it in 10 minutes and get better and better and better at what we do, man, that takes us so far down the road. So thank you for your time, Jonathan, and being a part of this. And and for all of you guys, thanks for uh, listening and being a part of the Worship Leader Essentials podcast. We come every week, as you know, uh, dropping on Tuesday mornings. And I hope that if you are getting useful content, that you will subscribe and continue to listen to this week after week. Uh, it is our goal and our desire that you would be the best leader that you can possibly be. So anyway, God bless you. And we'll talk to you next week.